Okay, so um, let me uh, pray for us and let's, um, let's get started. Father, um, thank you for your care for Margaret and thank you for um, the quick response that she got. We pray that you would give her peace. We pray that you would be her good shepherd that leads her through this and that she would be um, just calmed by your presence and we pray for her complete healing. And Lord, we pray um, as we look at this passage today, we pray that you would just show us yourself. Father, um, would you guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus and would you um, give me clarity, Lord, and Lord, take away the, all the things that are in my heart and mind that are troubling and just let me, um, Lord, let me keep my eyes on you and I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so this is a great chapter. I mean, it's a great, it's a great thing to be studying about the Good Shepherd. I mean, how, how much could we want but to study about that? But one of the things that as I was reading and as I read commentaries as I studied, one of the things that I really became convinced about is that we can't understand the fullness of what's happening in chapter 10 unless we go to chapter 9. And so um, part of the problem of that is that um, I think the, 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 the teaching in chapter 10, we have to say it has the, its seed in chapter 9. And so that creates a problem for us. And here's the problem that it creates. Let's see, it was November 18th that we looked at chapter 9. And so even though Kelly did a beautiful job teaching on that, well, in between we had the holidays. And I don't know about you, but I've got so many cobwebs in my head that um, I just need to have those cleared. So here's what I decided to do. As you see on that pathetic outline that I gave you, um, that, I mean, really, if you can follow that outline, I, I'm going to give you an award because it's really, really general. But anyway, it's what you have. Maybe it'll keep you seeing where I'm going. But anyway, so... Um, what we're going to do is we're going to first look at chapter 9. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to give a, a, a brief overview, and I'm going to do that as quickly as I can. But what that means is that it's going to limit what we can cover in chapter 10. So we're, we're going to get through uh, verse 18 of chapter 10. That's all we're going to get to. And, and I told your leaders that, and so I hope you had a chance to look at some of the other... But here, let me just tell you my goal, and I think I wrote it on that pathetic outline, is that, um, is that we would see Jesus as our good shepherd, and that we would see how much we need to follow him, we would see how much we need to listen to him and obey him, because he is our good shepherd. So that's kind of, that's going to be our big goal. Okay, and the truths that we're about to learn are not new truths to us but they're simple truths, and yet they're as deep as the ocean. So we, we will just try to get as much out of them as we can. So if you want to open your Bibles to chapter 9, you can do that. I'm actually not going to go through verse by verse. I'm just going to do some, I'm going to, I have about eight points, and, and I'm going to kind of summarize it. So here we go. 
Okay, so chapter nine begins with this. Jesus and his disciples are walking along and they begin talking about this man who's standing there and he's the man who, has been, who was born blind. And they obviously know something about him, but anyway, out of that conversation, a question arises from the disciples. And the question is this, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, as, as we've seen in the past, that was a common belief that there was a direct relationship between sin and sickness. And we're, we're going to see that repeated in just a minute. But Jesus rejects such a direct con connection. But what's interesting is he surprises us with a different answer. He says, neither sinned, neither the parents nor the son. That wasn't what caused the blindness. He says his blindness is so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't that an interesting answer? In other words, what Jesus is saying, it is for glory and not because of sin. Now, I have to make a parenthesis and say, well, does that give us permission to say then that the man was, was blind for this very purpose that the works of God might be shown in him? I don't know that we have permission to say that, but there's that indication. I, I don't know if we have permission to go that far, but we can at least say that one of the reasons he was born blind is so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, so the next thing, um, right after that, Jesus then turns to his disciples and he, and he speaks to them of the importance of doing God's work while it's still day. And, while, and what that means when he says while it's still day, it means while Jesus is still with the disciples, and then he says, because night is coming. Okay, so what Jesus is saying, and then he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now we know, we've studied, and it says that Jesus came because he came because the world's dark, and he is the light of the world. And so he has come and he says, as long as I'm in the world, then I am the light of the world. In other words, time is pressing on him. And we're going to see that, that this is just about the end of his public um, ministry. The, last, the next thing we're going to see is the raising of Lazarus. And um, then everything else is going to be leading up to his death. So, so night is coming and Jesus sees this pressing of time and he wants to bring as much light as he can. And one way that he's going to do that is he's going to do it by healing the blind man. So after he heals the blind man and then a big problem arises because the problem is this, he healed on the Sabbath and we've had that experience before. And so all the people see that this man has been healed and they're, they're amazed and yet they don't quite know how, how to understand it. And then there are other people who don't believe this is the man who was blind all of his life. And so all these questions arise. So they bring the, the man who is healed to the Pharisees and the Pharisees begin to question him and they wanna know how he received his sight. And so he tells them, says that the man called Jesus, he took mud and he made uh, a salve and he put it on my eyes and then he told me to go and, and wash it off and, and after I did, I could see. Well, that's another big problem because not only did Jesus heal, but then there was extra work that was involved in it and now the, the Pharisees are really upset. And so what do they say? They at once tell the man who was born blind, they said, listen, the man who healed you is a sinner. 
because he did not keep the Sabbath. Even though here stands a man healed from the day he was born and he has been healed, but now their focus is on Jesus being a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. Okay, so now a division arises. And what we're gonna see is this division is going to keep going on and we're gonna keep seeing division. What, caused, what was the division that was being caused? This, there was a question that arises, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Okay, so the Pharisees are saying, doesn't matter what sign he did, he's a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. Other people are saying, well, wait a minute, how can he be a sinner when he does a sign like this? So then the blind man's parents are called because the Pharisees still don't believe Jesus healed this man. And the parents come and they say, well, this is our son and he was born blind, but we don't know how he was healed, ask him. And, and the passage says they were afraid that they would be thrown out of the synagogue. So the, since the parents won't ask, the Pharisees call the blind man again. And here's what they say to him. They say, give glory to God we know this man is a sinner. So the man answers. And, and um, oh, just before that, they say, look, we know that God spoke to Moses. So we know what's right and what's wrong. God spoke to Moses. And they say, we don't even know where Jesus came from. Okay, so the man answers and he says, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where Jesus came from, and yet, he opened my eyes. And then the blind man went on and he says, God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens. And then the man says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, this is an amazing statement from this man who has been a beggar all of his life. But you see, he's giving glory to God. He is saying, this must be from God. How, who could heal me but someone who is from God? And he gives glory to God. But you see, that does not fit the paradigm of the Pharisees. And they're livid. They are livid. And here's their answer. Listen to what their answer was. You were born in utter sin. You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. That's what they say. So they're referring back to his blindness. He must have been born in sin. And now they say, and you dare to teach us? We who are righteous is what they're saying. And you dare to teach us. And they cast him out. Okay. So then we come to this. This is the beautiful part. When Jesus hears the man has been cast out, then he seeks out this man and he comes to him and he asks him and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And his answer is, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says to the man, he says, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And the man said, I believe and he worshiped him. Okay, so the man has been blind, he has been healed physically, but that work had more effect on him than just being healed physically, because now he sees spiritually. So, 
we're going to just stand back from this and look. And this is all in hindsight. We haven't gotten to chapter 10 yet. But if we stand back and look, we can begin to see what's happening here. Because what is Jesus doing? Well, he's being the good shepherd, is he not? He is coming to seek his sheep. He comes to care for this man, and he calls him by name. And he has come to lead him out and to, and to take him into the Lord's pasture. He's come to lead him away from the thieves and the robbers and into the green pastures of the Lord. And what, what is unfolding here is the division between the Pharisees and the leaders and those who follow them and Jesus and those who follow him. And Jesus then closes out this passage by drawing a line in the sand. And this is what he says, and I think this is written on that pathetic handout, is that for the judgment, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now the Pharisees heard this, you know, that's kind of a, a statement. You don't quite understand what's being said. But the Pharisees heard these things, and they said, this is what they heard. And so you are saying that we are also blind? We, the Pharisees, are also blind? And Jesus said to them, well, actually, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So what does that all mean? Okay, so when Jesus says... For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. What are we talking about? Well, let's, let's take it apart a little bit because it sounds like a contradiction to something we've already heard because if you remember in John three seventeen, what does it say? It says, God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That whoever believes in him well, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light. Okay, here's what's being said. It's being said that, that yes, the world was in darkness, and Jesus came as the light of the world, and he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to bring light. But you see, there's always another side of that, isn't there? Because when people love the darkness rather than the light, then they're bringing judgment on themselves. So Jesus' coming was not for judgment, but it does bring judgment. And so one commentator writes this. It says, he says, judgment is not the purpose, but the effect of Jesus coming into the world. He came to bring light as he brought spiritual light to the blind man, but the true light also blinds. So in chapter 9, when Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say we see, your guilt remains, and this is what, I, this is what that means, and this is another quote. If you were lacking only in your ability to see, such as the blind man was, the blind man couldn't see, and the blind man knew he was blind, and the blind man knew he could do nothing about it. And Jesus came and healed him. But you see, the Pharisees say, if, the, if, they were, if they just only would say that they could not see, then they have hope for being healed. 
But that is not what they did. They think they can see. They think that they need no other light. They need no one to save them from the darkness. They don't need Jesus. And that being the case, their sin remains. And the commentator goes on and he says, it's not sin that cuts a person off from what Jesus wants to give them. Jesus wants to heal them from their sin. It is the illusion that one can manage without Jesus. And that is why the sin remains. Now, why is that important? It's important because it leads us into chapter 10. Here, Jesus has a story to tell. He's going to tell us a story. And one of the things we need to understand about this story that Jesus is going to tell is, it's a story that's, that's drawn from the pages of the Old Testament. If it, the, that when Jesus tells his story, it's being informed by what? All of the things that are written in the Old Testament, such as when we looked at Ezekiel 34. Because there it's about shepherds who abuse and destroy their sheep. They slaughter them, they clothe themselves with their wool, and they do not care for them. But it's also about good shepherds. It's about good shepherds. It's about, it's about the Lord being our shepherd. And, and so it's about, it's about the Lord caring. It's about the Lord saving his sheep. It's about the Lord leading his sheep. But now there's something different as Jesus tells this parable in this time. And that is that the good shepherd is standing right there in their midst. And not only that, beside him stand some of those robbers and thieves and those who follow them. And beside him also stand some of the sheep of his pasture. And so Jesus is going to tell them a story. And he's going to tell them a story that they need to hear. And he's going to try to make them understand. It's a beautiful story. It's a story of hope and of goodness, of grace. But you see, it's also a story of this other side. It's a story of judgment and darkness and false prophets and false shepherds and uncared for sheep. And it's a story of sacrifice and it's a story of love and it's a story of redemption. And so Jesus begins his story. And he begins it with this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. And remember, when Jesus says that, it is listen up. Listen, I've got something important to tell you. And so here is the thing that we need to remember. This may be on that same sheet. The thing that we need to remember is this. We need to know who we are. And who we are is always defined by our relationship with the Good Shepherd. Who will you follow? To whom will you listen? And so, if our relationship, this means a relationship, good or bad, it's always defined by who you're good, what is your relationship to, your good, to the Good Shepherd? Okay, one more introductory comment and then we're gonna look real quickly at these. But in order to understand the allegory that Jesus is about to take us through, Here's how I want you to understand it, and I think this may be helpful. It's like we were looking through a camera, and we had this picture of a mountain in, in view. And so the first thing that we do is we, we take a picture of its setting, and we're standing back, and we want to get the full um, picture of that mountain. And that's what happens in, in verses 1 through 6. 
And then we adjust the lens a little bit and we focus in a lens a little bit and we focus in a little closer and that's what we're going to see in chapter 7. I mean in verses 7 through 10. And yet we're going to see and each time we're going to see a little bit more. We're going to see the same things but we're going to add to it too. And then finally we're going to move in closer and see much more detail and that's what we're going to find in verses 11 through 18. Okay. So the first thing, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the sheep of the shepherd, and to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he is brought out, all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. And then it says this, it says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Okay, so I'm just going to make a few points about this. What, what is going on here? Okay, we're looking at the mountain from a distance, so we're going to get a big picture. Okay, so this what Jesus is telling us about, he kind of introduces everyone who's standing there. He talks about the thieves and robbers. He talks about uh, the sheep and, and all of these things. He's going to talk about all these characters. And so here's what he's telling us. First of all, let's talk about the sheepfold that we have. We're going to talk about two kinds of sheepfolds. The first one is this, this um, kind of shared sheepfold. And this is, in, a, this is in, in more of a populated area where several shepherds would, would bring their sheep at night and they would put them in this sheepfold and they would be protected there. Okay, so there would be a gatekeeper who would, who would watch over them by night. And this gatekeeper would be paid. And, and then in the morning, the shepherd would come. And when the shepherd came, the gatekeeper would recognize him because the shepherd has hired him. And he would open the door and let him come and get his sheep. And then the shepherd would call his own sheep. By, and shepherds would call their sheep by name and they would lead them out. And when he, and it says here, and this is an interesting part and I would never have gotten it if I hadn't read commentaries, but here's what's going on. That, that Jesus is coming in, although he's not identifying himself, but he says when the shepherd comes, the, the gatekeeper will open the door and the shepherd will, will call his sheep by name and they will hear his voice and they will, he will lead them out, and he'll call them by name, and he'll lead them out. And when he has brought out all of his sheep, now just his sheep, not anyone else's sheep, the ones who responds to his name, to his voice, that, that they follow him, and he leads them all out, and a stranger they won't follow. What's going on? Well, the commentators say that what is going on is this is a picture of Jesus leading his sheep out of Judaism. He is leading them into the gospel. He is taking only his own sheep. There are other sheep there. He's taking only his own sheep and he's taking them out of Judaism and he's taking them into the freedom of the gospel because they're following him. Okay, so that's kind of the, the broad view of what's happening. And then we come to this. And this is, is um, in verses... Um, Let's see, what do we have? Um, sorry. Um, 
Oh, okay, it's one through ten. I mean, it's six through ten. Seven through ten. So Jesus uh, again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have, my sheep may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, so we're talking here about a different kind of sheephold. This is one that only the shepherd has. He doesn't share it with anyone else. And here's the thing. When Jesus talks about being the door, that means he's still the good shepherd, but now he's the door. He's the one who guides, guards the door. He's the one who decides who comes in and, and when a sheep come and go out. And that's the picture here, is that Jesus will not let anyone in who shouldn't be in. But it also means is that if anyone is going to come in through that door, if Jesus lets anyone in through the door, if anyone wants to come in through the door, then he will be saved. That's what it says. And he will be saved and he'll be able to go out and come in and find green pastures. And he says, there are others who are going to come in another way and try to take you away. But no, the only way to enter in is through me. And then what he says is, and I have come to give you abundant life. Abundant life. What does that mean? It means he's come to give them the gospel and all the blessings of the gospel. But, but even more than that, it is that idea of shalom. He's come to give them everything good that they need. And so that's the last one, the second one. And now the last, and we'll go real quickly through this. But okay, so then we come to this one and we're moving in and we're getting a close look up. And this is as close as we can get the camera. And this is what Jesus is saying. He, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We're going to hear that three times in this verse. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep, and he flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because... He is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And for this reason the Father loves me. No one takes... Um, for he loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Okay, so just real quickly, and we've, I've got to run through this because of time, but um, here Jesus is saying, I, I am the good shepherd, and he's drawing a distinction between him and the hired man. And Jesus is nothing like that hired man because that hired man cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus cares everything about the sheep because he lays down his life for the sheep. There is nothing he won't give for his sheep. So when danger comes, the hired man runs away. When danger comes for Jesus, his danger is that danger comes to the sheep. And what does he do? He lays down his life for his sheep. And Jesus says it again. He says, he says that 
he, he says that I lay down my life. And then he says it again, I lay down my life for the sheep because Jesus' death is precisely what qualifies him to be the good shepherd because the good shepherd will pay any price for his sheep. And then he goes on to say, and he says, I know my own and my own know me. And then he makes this comparison with the father. And it's an amazing statement because it, he's showing that this intimacy that he has with his sheep is the same as the depth of in, intimacy with his father. That, that this is an ultimate knowledge that Jesus has for his sheep. And he says, I lay down my life for my sheep because there's no cost too great. And then Jesus talks about the, the fold, that he has another, he has other sheep and another fold, and he's going to bring them in, and they're going to be one flock and one shepherd. And just quickly, I'm sure you, you probably talked about this in your, in your group, but this is the bringing in of the Gentiles. This is Jesus pointing us ahead to when he has, when the church comes. And he's just, he's showing that Jesus has, is, is having the sheep, and he's leading them out of out of Judaism, but he's also leading them out of paganism. Okay, and then the last part of this teaching is really astonishing. And he says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Okay, what's so astonishing is this. The Father loves me. The reason that the Father loves me is that I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay, first of all, let's say this. God's love was not dependent on Jesus dying because the love within the Godhead was eternal. But it had something to do with Jesus' dying because you see what Jesus' dying indicated, it showed his love for his father too. It not only shows his love for the sheep because it shows his love for the father because the father loves the sheep and the father gave the sheep into Jesus's care. And it shows how much Jesus was willing to pay for that, for his love for the sheep. It's far beyond what we would imagine because what did he do? Jesus suffered the humiliation of death. Jesus became man and he became man eternally. He took on flesh eternally. And Jesus took that on. He died on the cross. He died on the cross. He's showing his love, not only for the sheep, but his love for the father. And not only that, he suffered the wrath of the father and he had his father turn his face away and he died on that cross. And that's how much he loves us. And that's why it shows his love for the father because he would do anything for the father. He would show him anything. There is no price he wouldn't pay for those sheep that the father has entrusted into his hand. How could the father not express love for him? because he was willing to pay such costly love. That's his love for us. And one other commentator writes then, and he says, I, I, raise, I lift up my life again. I lay it down, and now I lift it up. And he said he died in order to, to rise. His death was always with view of the resurrection in hand. It's as if, John Calvin says, it's as if he said that he would not just die and be swallowed up by death, but he would rise again and defeat death and be the conqueror. That's who our good shepherd is. And the passage goes on to say, and we don't have time to look at it, no one, 
No one can ever snatch us. Once we belong to him, no one can ever snatch us out of his hand. And he goes farther and he says, and no one can ever snatch us out of the Father's hand because the Father gave us and trusted us into Jesus' hand and Jesus did everything he asked. That's the amazing picture that we have. That is what our good shepherd has done for us. That's his love for us. And so we ask, what is our love for him to look like? Well, I tried to think of something, and what came to me is this passage from Philippians. And it's from Philippians 2, and this is how we're going to close. This is what it says. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. And then he tells us what that looks like. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, as Jesus did for us. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, as Jesus did. Have the same mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's pray. Father, um, it is hard for us to get our hearts around that before the foundation of the world that you set your love upon your sheep. And you gave a charge to your son, and your son was willing to pay anything. He was willing to pay anything to come and get those sheep. Lord, we don't understand it because we're one of those sheep and we know what we're like. But that's your love for us, and that's the love of Jesus. And we thank you, and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen.